morning, he's given me the scripture, 1 Kings chapter 20. And uh, last week, for those that were here, there was three verses, I think, that was preached. And today, he gives me 43 verses to preach. <laughs> so I thank him for that. <laughs> it taught me a lot, uh, and it spoke to my heart. Uh, but I'll try not to uh, keep you too long. Uh, so just uh, bear with me as we walk through this First Kings chapter 20. And uh, let me just, uh, before we dig into that, just uh, set the tone here, because we're talking about Ahab, and we're talking about Ahab against his Assyrian king called Ben-Hadad. And uh, just for those that have not been here through the whole series uh, in First Kings, uh, just to set the tone for who Ahab was, he, he was the worst king of all Israel. He was the uh, uh, from a whole line of bad kings, but in that he was the worst of the worst because he was truly leading his people away from the great God Jehovah. He was rejecting God and living and worshiping Baal. And so now we have this man who's been disobedient to God and, and he's done that for sake of political gain and power and prestige and economic gain and military protection. He's forsaken God for all of that. So Ahab, regardless of what God has shown him through the Elijah miracle of consuming the sacrifice with fire to stopping the rain and bringing the rain back three years later, he still refused to accept who God was. So as we read through this text, there's a question I'd like you to think about. There's a question that God posed to me as I walked through this text and was, who is your Lord? Who really is your Lord? You know, when the enemy comes upon you to attack you unexpectedly, who is your Lord? When you, things look hopeless, who is your Lord? And when all things seem lost, who is your Lord, really? Who do you turn to? When you're still walking in victory and you've been blessed and everything seems to be going well and your enemy's been defeated and he's not coming back and you're feeling at peace. In that time, who is your Lord? When remarkable things happen in your life that you just can't explain, who gets the glory? Who is your Lord when an enemy attacks you over and over and over again? When he comes at you from every angle? And you feel a sense of defeat and, and unworthiness and you can't find out just how come people misunderstand me. Who is your Lord? So ponder that question as we walk through the text and we look at the life of Ahab and how God spoke to him. Let us start with verse 1 through 6. Ben-Hadad, ben the king of Assyria, gathered all his army together, 32 kings were with him in horses and chariots. And he went up and he closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Your silver, your gold are mine. Your Beth's wives and children are also mine. And the king of Israel answered, As you say, my Lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. The messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent you saying, 
Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, tomorrow I will send my servants to tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and your houses of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you. Not ever, not ever whatever pleases the enemy, whatever we have that we love, that we treasure, he's coming to take it away. Ahab, what's his response to the enemy? I am yours. You are my Lord. This is the king of God's chosen people yielding to the enemy. He sees an army greater than his surrounding him and Fear begins to overcome him, and he gives in to the fear. He yields to the enemy, and he says, Ben-Hadad, you are my Lord. Sometimes when we're walking in disobedience, and we're not worshiping God the way we need to, and we've put other things before him, we begin to not feel his holy presence around us. We can't feel his protection anymore, and we can't operate in his power any longer, and the peace that passes all his understanding gets away from us because we've rejected our God. We forget when fear sets in that the word of God says, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. When fear overtakes us, we forget our position in the family of God. We forget about the Spirit of God in us. We forget what His Word tells us, that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. The Word of God tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper, but when we're walking in disobedience, we can't remember those things. When we're not depending on God, and the enemy attacks us unexpectedly. We too may yield to the enemy and make him our Lord. Give him authority over us and yield ourselves to him. This lack of allegiance to God, this lack of dependency to God is not something that happens overnight. Normally it's a gradual thing that happens to us. Most of the time, it starts with something so seemingly small and innocent. But it's not innocent because the enemy has an insatiable appetite. It can't be filled. He just keeps taken and taken and taken. He's a heavy taskmaster. And when you pledge your loyalty to him, you don't know what you're really signing up for. You see, he wanted to strip Ahab of everything physically, take everything from him, make him a public disgrace, a public spectacle. When you give the enemy an inch, he will take a mile. And you know, it's not about us. It's not just about you as an individual. The decision, decision to yield to the enemy affects everyone. It affects your entire family, your friends, your community. It affects everything that you love. 
Verse 6 says, Nevertheless, I will send my servants to, your, to you tomorrow, and about this time they will search your house and the house of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you. That means he's going to take away your wife and your kids because you've decided to call him Lord. When the enemy surrounds you and defeat seems inevitable, who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Picking up at verse 7. Then the king of Israel called all the elders in the land and said, Mark now and see how this man is seeking trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and for my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders of the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my Lord, tell my Lord, he's still calling him Lord, Call, tell my Lord all that you first demanded of your servants I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me and more, more also if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for hands full for all the people who follow me. And the king of Israel answered back, said, tell him. Let him not who straps on his armor boast himself as, as he who takes it off. And when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. Finally, Ahab realizes that he's made a bad decision. And he's in over his head. So he reaches out to counsel. He reaches out to the elders. He acknowledges the fact that he didn't have all the answers. It's all right to talk to other godly people about your troubles. Even your closest friends can give you some godly advice. But where was his conversation with God? Where was that in the middle of the trouble? Only God can truly, truly, truly give you the answers that you need. When you find yourselves in trouble, it's okay to go to your friends. It's okay to go to your pastor. But what God really wants is for you to come to him, to fall on your knees and say, God, help me. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. People can give you some answers, but guess what? Only God can give you the answer. Compare Ahab to King David. David knew how to cry out to God. The Psalms are full of David's cries unto the Lord for help. But Ahab, Ahab still did not recognize where his help comes from. God, right there in the midst of the siege, all he had to do was cry out to the Lord. But instead, he turns the man. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Looking at verse 13 to 15. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, You have seen all this great multitude. Behold, I will give it into your hands this day. And you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? The prophet said, 
Thus saith the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the district. Then Ahab said, Who shall begin the battle? And the prophet said, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the district, and they were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000 strong. Sometimes we tend to want to give up on people, but that's not the God that we serve. Sometimes when people don't yield, don't respond the way we want them to, we give up. But God said, no, Ahab, I'm still trying to get your attention. I'm going to send you a prophet, and that prophet's going to tell you what to do. I'm trying to get your attention. Ahab said, you will worship me and turn my people back to me. Even when you're stubborn and you're wicked, come back to me. God says, I'm going to give you the victory over the multitudes that you face. Even though you haven't earned my love, even though you're still worshiping idols, why am I going to do this? Because I want you to know that I am the Lord thy God. I made a covenant with my people. And despite you, Ahab, I'm going to show them that I'm still in control. No matter what goes on in our life, no matter who's leading, no matter who's in charge, God is still in control. We may look at our situation today and say to ourselves, how do we get out of this when we know that we have leadership that we're not necessarily happy with? whether it's on the job, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's home, whether it's in the school, God is still in control. When the enemy comes to threaten and consume God's people, and when God's people are confronted on all sides by the attack of the enemy, and the fight appears to be bigger than we are, God just wants us to turn back to him and call on the name of the Lord. Who is your Lord? Who truly is your Lord? Picking up on verse 19. So that these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the district, and the army that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. 7,000 turned back the multitudes. It was never about the numbers. It was always about the God that we serve. No matter how many forces were lined up against them, God took 7,000 and turned back the enemy. Each one struck down their man. It brought fear in the hearts of the enemy, and they ran from, from the war. You see, when you take a stand for God, when you take a stand, don't look at the numbers. It's not about the odds against you. It's about who's standing with you. And that's our Lord and Savior. No matter what, all we need is the one true living God to win every battle that we're in. The question is, who is your Lord? You see, when you look back and you see how God has delivered you out of situations, how he's brought you out of the hand of the enemy and how he's given you victory, 
when he's giving you victory over your addictions and when he's giving you victory in your marriage and when he's giving you victory in your health and when he's brought you the new job you're looking for, is he still your Lord? Or do we take credit for what God has done in our lives? It's not about the doctors. It's, it's not about your bank account. It's not about where you live or the counselors you seek. It's about what God has done in your life. Unfortunately, even in this great victory, Ahab still gave God no glory. No sign of a repentant heart in Ahab. Not even a thank you to God for his deliverance from the hand of the enemy. Not a praise or a prayer. But what does our God do with that? He's hoping to turn Ahab's heart around, but it doesn't happen. Look at verse 22 through 25. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come and strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come against you. And so the servants of the king of Assyria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hill. And so they, will be, they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than them. And do this. Remove the kings from each of his posts and put commanders in their places and muster up an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will have the victory over them. And Ben-Hadad listened to their voice. How does God respond? He sends Ahab another prophet. A prophet that warns him against the war. A war that's not over yet. He says the enemy is going to attack again. Get ready. Prepare yourself. We here in the church know that the enemy never stops. He's always seeking us out, trying to devour us. So the war is never over. When you come out of a situation and God has given you the victory, don't lay down your war, war, your war book now. Just stand up and say, you know what? I need to get into my word a little deeper because the battle is not over and the enemy is coming back again. You don't rest when the war is over. God is calling you into a deeper relationship with him to get to know more of him because the enemy is never going to stop. Ahab didn't deserve another conversation with the prophet. He didn't deserve to have God come alongside him and say, Ahab, I want you to come back to me. We too understand that God is always reaching out to us and begging us to come home even in whatever condition we're in, even how broken we may be, even the mess that we may find ourselves in, God is still saying, come back to me. I'm sending you a word. Will you use me? Will you call to me? Will you make me Lord of your life? And that's what he was doing with Ahab as an example for us. And what does the enemy say? Well, God 
These, these are gods of the hills, not gods of the plains. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn around and we're going to say, we're going to go fight them on the plain. We're going to fight them on the plain because their God is not the God of the plain. How foolish is that? How foolish is that? God is not limited by geography. He's not limited by location. God is ever-present. He is everywhere. God has no boundaries. So no matter where you find yourself, in your home, in your school, in your workplace, on the highway, in the grocery store, God is with you. He's beside you, warning you, talking to you. He may not reveal the outcome of the fight. He might not tell you how you're going to come out of your trial. He just wants you to be obedient to what he's asking you to do, to take a stand against the enemy, to get ready to strengthen yourself, even when you don't know what the future holds. Who is your Lord? Ask yourself, who is my Lord? Picking up on verse 28. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not the God of valleys. Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am Lord. And they encamped opposite one another for seven days. Then on the seventh day of the battle that was joined, and the people of Israel struck down the Syrians, a hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled in the city of Aphek, and the wall fell on 27,000. The hand of God was with them. 7,000 against 100,000. It's no mistake that God lets us know without a doubt, that it was him in the battle. It had nothing to do with Ahab's military strength. It had nothing to do with military intelligence. It was just God stepping in and saying, I can fight this battle for you if you get out of my way. The creator of the universe was angry at Ben-Hadad for thinking that he was limited, thinking that he could not overcome the hills and the valleys. He did it. So that Ahab would know, without a doubt, that he was Lord. It didn't matter who was driving the chariots, whether it was the kings or whether it was the commanders of military strength. It didn't matter whether they were in a valley or up in the plain. It didn't matter where these commanders were coming from. All that mattered was that God was in the battle and fighting it for the Israelites. Not because Ahab was all that, because we know his story. It's because we served a mighty God. Church, when God keeps bringing you out of situations, and he keeps saving you, and he keeps protecting you, and he keeps fighting your battles for you, and he keeps strengthening you when there's nothing left to be strengthened. When he keeps giving you second chances and when he keeps taking you and drawing you and pulling you into a deeper relationship with him, who is your Lord? He keeps calling us back home. 
Because he knows that there's things in our lives that we need to pair out, that things in our lives that need to be pruned away. Little things that keep creeping in and stealing God's glory. God gave Ahab the victory. Yet Ahab still gave God no glory. If I could jump down to verse 30 through 34. But Hadad also fled and entered into the inner city, inner chamber in the city. And his servants said to him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put on sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our head and go into the king, and perhaps he will spare our life. So they tied on sackcloth around their waist and put ropes on their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad, please let me live. And he said, does he still live? Is he my brother? Now men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took, up, took it up from him and said, Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go and bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities that your father took from your father I will restore. And may you establish a bazaar for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. And he made a covenant with him and let him go. God gave Ahab the victory. He gave him his enemy. And Ahab decided that I'm going to make a covenant with the enemy. Ahab now surrenders under the terms of the enemy. Who won the battle? Why would you give in and give up for so little? Yes, the enemy came out of hiding with sackcloth and a rope around his neck, demonstrating that he was trying to be submissive to the king of Israel. But look at the terms and conditions of the surrender. The enemy says, you know what? I'm going to give you back to you what my father stole from your father. And oh, by the way, you can then go and create some bazaars and, and sell some goods in Damascus. And what does the king of Israel say? That sounds good to me. We can't give up so little. Or so little to get so little from the devil. The devil doesn't want us to basically give in everything for nothing. When you have him under your foot, when you have his neck down, when you have him defeated, keep him there. Don't let him back in your house. Don't let him back in your workplace. Don't let him back in your family. Don't listen to the noise because it's a trap from the enemy. Because he is seeking who can devour. He is a liar and a thief. And he wants to destroy you. He is a master manipulator. Once you have the victory in your life, don't go back. Don't open the door for him. Church, who is our God? Will we make a pact with the enemy? Will we focus on the things that we want to preserve in our life? Preserve our wealth and our power instead of yielding to God regardless of the situation. You see, God was not happy with Ahab. 
He said, Ahab, I gave you the enemy, and you let him go. I put him in your hands, and you released him. The same enemy that keeps tormenting your family. The same enemy that keeps trying to tear you down. The same enemy that keeps trying to bring destruction in your house. You keep letting him go. And because of that, Ahab, there's consequences for your disobedience. There's consequences because now you've let go someone that I knew I gave to you to destroy. So now what happens? He says to Ahab, because you let him go, you will die in his place. You see, when we don't keep the enemy down, when we don't kick him out, it brings death into our life. It brings death into our situation, into our family. God has given you the victory, church. All he wants to know is who you worship. Who is your Lord? Will you call out to him when he brings you out of trials? Will you know that he is the one that did it? All he wants to know is, I, I can take that situation from you if you just say yes to me. But we have to yield to God and let him know how much we love him, how much we adore him, how much we worship him. Then and only then can he help us out of our situation. We can't keep falling into these consequences and giving in to the enemy. We can't stop taking stands for righteousness. we got to stand for Christ. We can't let our flesh dictate our relationship with Christ any longer. There's consequences for who we worship. There's consequences for what we worship. And our God is a jealous God. And he said, have no other God before me. Today, if you have little false gods in your life, it's time to ask God for some help. Help you to see what they are. Help you to defeat them. Help you to reject them. Help them to kick them out of your homes. Help them to conquer them. Don't let fear run your life any longer. The Lord does not want us to die. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Yes, there's consequences for our choices, but we serve a God of second chances, and today is your chance. Your chance to say no to the enemy. Your chance to say no to the things that have kept you bound. Your chance to say, devil, you're out of my house. I'm taking the hooks out of my body because you're not going to control me anymore. A chance to accept God's calling on your life. Yes, there's consequences for the choices we make, but today there's a choice that you have to make, and that choice is Jesus. He is the only one that can bring us out of our situation. All we have to do is say yes to him because the Word of God says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Is Jesus Lord of your life is the question, or are we just playing lip service to God? It's an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be Lord. 
not just my Savior, but I want you to take me to a new place of relationship. I want you to be Lord and head of my house. Nothing else comes before you. Saints of God, it's time to walk the talk, to let the Lord be truly Lord of our life and no longer playing second place to the enemy. Let us pray.